Sound Design. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by freelance comms and RF coordinator Peter Erskine. Pete, welcome to Sound Design Live. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Let's do some comm and RF. I definitely want to talk to you about intercom in the pandemic age, some sticky RF challenges and comms tools and RF tools. But before we do that, I'm just curious about your musical taste. So after you get a system set up, even if it's maybe a comm system and you need to run some playback through it, what's a piece of music you're going to choose? I saw that question in one of your lists and it occurred to me that I have never done that. Okay. It's not like comms is something you have to tune with music sort of thing. I do have a a USB stick, a little playback device that has just general music on it that sometimes I will play when I'm alone on a job. Doing comms is very hard to do alone because you want to have somebody on the other end of the line to say, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? So either I get the Verizon guy to come down and work with me or I need to put something on the other end that I can listen to. And if I can hear it on the comm channel, then it's pretty good chance the other direction is good too. Pete, I want to get your career advice before we hit some of these technical questions. If I want to follow in your footsteps and pursue a specialization in comms and RF coordination, what advice would you have for me to get the right training and then find gigs? I think the key is actually getting your hands on the equipment. You can read the manuals and you can read instruction books and that sort of stuff. But certainly for me, I never started learning anything until I could put my hands on the equipment. And when I first started out in radio in WKCR at Columbia University, they showed me this console and they explained what all the buttons did and where everything goes. And I just went in one ear and out one eye. And I had no idea what it did. And I said, go away and let me just play with it. And I did it and I ran audio through it and I did different things. And finally, I figured it out. And that's really true of all equipment, for me anyway, that I learn a lot more if I actually have the equipment in front of my, in my hand. So I think if you can go and work for a company, a company like Claire Brothers or PRG or any of the audio companies that also have intercom and actually get your hands on the stuff or assist on a show where you can watch somebody use the stuff, that's your best bet to get involved. I'm just thinking for myself, if I wanted to do that, I would probably reach out to some local production companies here in Minneapolis and say, hey, what comms equipment do you have? And then I find out and I say, hey, I really need to practice on this system, on this free speak system. Can I come in and play with that for a couple of hours on Wednesday or something like that? If somebody well enough, know a company well enough that'll let you to do that, that's a great way to go. Experience on real shows, it's obviously one step better than that. Because even when you're in, in sitting in a studio and playing with a free speak system, you can go through the manual and make all the things work. But like I said before, comms is a two-person job. So unless you're learning with a friend you can sit and talk on, it isn't very successful, I think. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Signal to Noise podcast because you were a guest on there about a year ago. And so I think if people want to hear more about how you got started, that would be a good place to do that. And because you guys already did a lot of that, we are free to dive into some of these technical questions. So Peter, you were a guest at, you were a presenter at last year's Live Sound Summit. And if people want to hear that, they can go to Live Sound Summit 
2021.sounddesignlive.com. But you gave this talk called Intercom in the Pandemic Age. And so I just wanted to ask you a few follow-up questions about that. So you started out talking about Bolero and a lot about Unity. I'm excited about this. So for someone who has never heard of Bolero and Unity, can you please talk about the opportunities that these technologies open up? Digital wireless intercom, particularly Bolero, FreeSpeak, and CrewCom, solved a lot of problems in the intercom business. You used to have a two-wire system where you'd have a headset and a cable running out to a power supply, and nine times out of ten, there was a little hum or buzz on the line, and it wasn't very versatile. You, you basically had either one channel from one person to another, or you wanted to switch to talk to somebody else that really involved a lot of wiring and specialized belt packs, that sort of thing. But when digital came along, bang, you've got now belt packs that have four four to eight buttons on them, and you can program to be any kind of communication you want from point to point around, and they change. You can change them during the middle of the show. Somebody can say on their Bolero belt pack, Pete, I really need to talk to the LD. And I click a couple of buttons, and bang, they've got a button on their belt pack. Now they can talk to the LD. So flexibility, that's the main thing about Bolero, FreeSpeak, and CrewCom, because they're remotely programmable. I don't have to go out to your belt pack to change something on your belt pack to give you something else on it. Unity Intercom is an interesting thing. When you deposit checks in the bank by taking a picture of the check, that software was developed by the man who started Unity Intercom. Really? And he obviously became very rich from this software in the in in the banks and had time on his hand and always wanted to do intercom and so he he wrote the unity intercom system which is basically a six channel belt pack that runs fully on on the internet so you have a little server somewhere and you have a belt pack that talks to it cp communications for years now has been doing the marathon in new york city And their usual way of doing it years ago was to install at four or five locations around the city on top of some building, a repeater site. So they could have walkie talkies that could talk anywhere in the entire route and have good communication everywhere. And that took a week or more of time to go out. First of all, you had to find the apartment buildings to get permission or pay rent to go on top of them, et cetera, et cetera. And it took a long time. And then Unity Intercom came along and they decided to switch to using Unity instead of walkie-talkies. They had a few channels of walkie-talkies at the start of the race and a few at the end of the race. But for the 100 plus walkie-talkies that were throughout the whole of New York City, they switched over to use Unity Intercom. And it communicates over a data channel on a regular cell phone. If any any of you have ever tried to use a cell phone at a concert and realized you can't make a phone call, Wi-Fi is totally useless because <laughs> you can't get connected to anything. Yeah. The reality is there is a part of telephone systems, the data channel, which is rarely ever used anywhere. And Unity Intercom uses that data channel to do all its communication. So in a packed stadium with 100,000 people, you can open up your Unity intercom and have a perfectly good intercom on your cell phone. So they took 100 
belt packs. And the one, one they bought was one called uh, Sonom. It's a military-grade cell phone. Oh, I want one. Which has a replaceable battery on the back. And the battery is long enough so I can leave the screen on and uh, for the whole day and not have to replace the battery. So they took these and they put a hundred of these out there with regular intercom headsets, which plug in to the, to the jacks on the side and put them all over the city and everybody communicated. And even though unity has only six channels per a user, I've got two different things on here. Agent IC, it's blown out in that video there, but Agent IC and Unity Intercom. And if I start the Unity Intercom, it's already logged on here for Unity. So this is one of the channels I have. And there's six channels, six buttons across the top. And I can turn on the talks and I can talk on them like that by pressing the button. And I can select different groups of six. So here's one that's called Lights one that's called default, one that's called director. And so I can have as as many different groups of six that a single person can access. And you could have the same production channel in every one of those groups. So you can duplicate them in the group. So you can they can switch between different departments. The other thing about this is a Bluetooth push button. So I can push this Bluetooth push button and make make the Unity go. (laughs) So you can have Unity thing in your pocket and put this Bluetooth push button on the arm of your camera where you can reach it with your finger and bingo, you've got to push to talk. It's pretty cool and quite versatile. The other thing about it is one of the problems people have with it is when you buy the server, which is about three or $400 for the first three users, maybe it's five or $600, I forget. But they have to install it on a Mac in a location where they can actually open some ports on the switch. Need some dedicated ports? Some dedicated ports. And often if you take this on the road and go into a venue, you might not have an IT department in the venue that can open those ports on the switch that is available for you in the venue. So what I have done for years is I locate my switch either at my apartment here, or recently I moved my server over to MacStadium.com, which is a Mac-based server farm with hundreds and hundreds of Mac minis. And I so I have one that is, is basically my server. I'm going to share a little screen of it with you here. Yeah, we should explain this because I think this is actually really exciting technology. I think in the future, no one will have machines anymore that actually have all the processing on them. You'll just have basically terminals that access your server somewhere else in the world. And that's what you're talking about, right? Essentially, though, I've got three things on my server. I've got the Unity server, which is this one right here. I've got another piece of Unity software called Unity Connect which is a very unique piece of software. It basically can connect 64 bi-directional channels of audio to another Unity Connect, the same software on two different computers. And it's useful if you want to extend your Dante system to somewhere else in the world, because it'll take the 64 channels of Dante in and send them totally in sync to the other Dante. So if you're sending 64 channels of music, you're not going to lose any and you're not going to get any 
of the channels out of phase. Because what it does, it sends all 64 channels in the same packet at the time. So in it, what I use it for is to remotely connect my intercom system to the Unity intercom. So here's here I have 16 channels of audio coming in, and then there's 16 channels of audio going out. And those 16 channels are on a laptop at my show. And plugged into that laptop is a Motu 16-channel D to A converter. And then analog, I come out of that and plug into whatever intercom system I have and route the audio. It comes back here to the server, Unity Connect. And since both pieces of software, the server software, this one down here, and the Unity Connect are on the same server, you can't easily point one output to one input. So I use another little piece of software called Loopback, which allows you to connect inputs to outputs or outputs to inputs on the same computer. So here I have two different setups here, connect to server, and it has 16 channels going to 16 channels. And here I have another one called server to connect, 16 channels to 16 channels. And when the audio comes in, I can see it on here. There are little meters on all of these. And when it comes into the, the Unity Connect, there's also little meters to watch. So I can locate this server anywhere in the world. Right now, my server is in Las Vegas. And if I plug in an intercom into it anywhere in the United States, there's less than about probably 80 milliseconds of latency built into the conversation, which is basically the same as a cell phone conversation. So you don't feel as if you're, you don't feel as if there's an echo or there's a, if I could loop them back, I would hear a little bit of an echo at 80 milliseconds, but normally they don't loop back like that. And if you're and, standing right next to the person, you would be able to tell, but if you're standing right next to the person, uh, you wouldn't need comments. A little bit, not much. 80 milliseconds is pretty small, less than a 10th of a second. So you're not going to hear much, but the important thing is it's at a location that has not only really good power and they will have power even if the whole world loses power for at least a few days. And they also have very good quality internet connection. So my little Mac mini here, which is this green thing on the screen, it has a 200 plus megabit in and out to feed it. And so I have no problem with data. So I have this located there and I just log on to it wherever I want to. On my website, by the way, bestaudio.com, there is a whole section on Unity Intercom, on FreeSpeak Intercom, etc., all on the website. And they I speak more about exactly what it does, how it works. So here's a here's my Unity Intercom tab. Actually, I have to click on the right thing. I can't click on your there's my Unity Intercom. And it talks about what Unity Intercom. There is a website here, scoms.tv, where you can buy Unity for, with a slight discount, 5% or so. And this is a picture of the Unity Intercom client on a PC. And here's the picture of the selector of the Unity Intercom. And then down here in the middle of it is a section called Unity Demo. And it explains how you can set up your iPhone or your Android or your PC or your Wi-Fi enabled device of any flavor 
to get a log on it, to it. And my server has, I think, maybe four generic users, user one, two, three, four with password one, two, three, four. So you can set this up on your computer and then you can play with it. Also, Unity Intercom has a demo mode. You can download it and use it for whatever, 30 days and has full functionality. There's nothing that isn't in there, I think. Although the demo unit may not have audio in and out to interface to your local intercom system. But I was on a show two years ago, an esports show that had some threats made against it. The police came and said, we'd have some bomb threats possible. Hey. Nothing we, we knew about, but we wanted to have a microphone that if we had to, somebody in your company could talk on to the entire event and ask everybody to calmly run for your life. And they, we were in a state in a, a convention center, and the show occupied a couple of different rooms with non-connected intercom systems, non-connected PA systems. So what we did is, I did at that point, I didn't have my server set up in my apartment, but I downloaded the demo version of the server, and I put it on my computer right there at the venue. And the vent, the show I was working on was a computer-based show, so we had our own IT department, and they gave me the public IP and opened up the ports I needed. And I took the audio out from my laptop and ran it into the PA system. And on a on a phone system like this, I just had one button that said PA. And you could press that button from anywhere you had cellular connection. So it could be anywhere in the venue, outside in the street. You could be 20 miles away. You could be in a different country and talk to the PA of this venue. And the quality of the audio is really excellent. It's really pretty good. It's I wouldn't say it's recording level quality, but it's certainly better than telephone quality. We demonstrated it to the uh, police department. And they said, very impressive. Good. Hang on to that. We might need it. We never used it, but it was easy to do and only took a few minutes to set up. And even without an actual license to do it, we used a demo version of Unity Intercom for the one day we needed it. I think in general, the uh, intercom world is going towards networking. Everything is going to be IP. Quite a lot of, of it is available in Clearcom and Riedel and Crewcom that is networked. And uh, particular questions about networking and, and Crewcom, I think you can look at, go to some of the videos we did this summer at practicalshowtech.com, where we had network experts talk about how you do intercom and networking. I can't wait to play with it. And just a voice, if I'm thinking of this and other people are probably thinking of this as well, but this gives me a business opportunity that what if I could set up my own server just like you did and solve intercom problems for a few of my local clients here in Minneapolis and just say, hey, anytime you have shows, I can set this up for you. And I don't even necessarily need to be one of your technicians on site, but always have intercom solved. Well, as long as they're, as long as you're involved in the product, there, uh, Unity Intercom has a has some exclusive rental houses, which means they can rent the Unity Intercom without any technicians, and they protect those houses. But if you're using it, you have your own system, and you set it all up, and want to provide to your clients, and your clients are paying you for this service, then that's fine. 
I do on my shows, typically I rent my Unity Intercom for $100 per user per week, plus $100 per port interface, Intercom port interface per week. That includes Unity Connect and all of the everything needed to get it from their Intercom system into the Unity system. Unity itself has a rentable system, but it's only Unity Intercom to Unity Intercom. They don't have, they don't offer any Unity Connect, which is the method of feeding your system into theirs. However, what you can do is you can rent, take one of these lap, one of these intercom things, and you can, in the settings, there's a thing called constant talk mode. Now it's always communicating. It's always communicating all the time. And this becomes port in and out to the server. So I then connect the, the headset cable on this to my local intercom system, the out, the four wire out of it into here and the four, this into the four wire in. And it becomes then a connection to the intercom in the cloud at Unity Intercom. So they have a, and their rental rates are much, much cheaper than I am, a few pennies on the dollar. So take a look at their website and you can see what, if you want to rent it for a show and you're all using your own iPhones or your own Androids, it's quite affordable. Well, and I guess that was going to be my last question about this. Can I use Unity for all of my comm and get rid of all of my other comm equipment? Well, depends on how complicated your show is. Obviously, the one thing that Unity doesn't have is a panel with 20 buttons on it where somebody can talk to everything they want to. Now, you could set up a bunch of different groups so they would all have production and audio and lighting. And then the last three vary depending on what group you select on your unit so you can switch back and forth. I don't think it's a, it's it for most simple uses. Yes, you can, that can do all everything you need it to do. Um, it's a big step up from a, a hardwired two wire intercom system in a theater. It all depends on whether or not you have a good uh, network connection. I find that it doesn't work great in a Wi-Fi situation because Wi-Fi is not strong enough everywhere in the venue to keep the connection going. If you have a really good Wi-Fi system with access points in the hallways and the dressing rooms and the theater and the lobby, et cetera, all on the same SSID, it might work fine if you work at it. But I find just doing using it on, on, on cellular works the best. Okay, so let's get to some of these questions that people sent in. Stephen Pavlik says, what is his process for choosing where to place comm transceivers for indoor coverage with obstructions for systems like Bolero or FreeSpeak 2? Wireless intercom systems, Bolero, FreeSpeak, and to a lesser extent, CrewCom, all operate in bands that are near cellular bands. In addition, if you even though they're not right on it, a 2.4 cellular access point placed next to a Bolero antenna will overload its receivers and make it not work. Even though the Bolero is running at 1.9 gig and the Wi-Fi is at 2.4 gig, it will stop it from working. I went to do a show early on at a brand new theater in Los Angeles and their free speak they said, oh, it works fine everywhere except on the stage. Every time the stage manager walks into the middle of the stage, it cuts out and they get disconnected. 
And strangely enough, they'd been using this thing for weeks now, and they complained about this, and nobody really did anything about it. I don't know what the deal was, but so I said, let's look at it. And so I went around, and I sure enough, it worked everywhere, but when you walked on the stage, it says, look where, let's look where the antennas are. And in bo- all of these systems, each antenna only does a limited number of belt packs. So one free speak antenna in the original version does six and no, it's eight. And in the Crewcom, it's six. And in, in Bolero, it's 10. The newer version of Clearcom does 10. If you had 20 belt packs, you'd put two of those antennas out to use. In this particular theater, I went up on the catwalk and sure enough, there's a catwalk running straight across the middle of the stage. And Mounted on one side of the catwalk were two free speak antennas and three feet away on the other side of the catwalk were two access points for their Wi-Fi. three feet away from them. Uh, okay. He said, let's do that. So we just clapped it, plugged in a RJ45 cable, moved it 30 feet away, 30 feet away to the sides of the stage and bingo, everything started working fine. And so when we go into venues to put in any of these systems, often venues have built in cellular repeater systems. Yeah, it's like an upside down pyramid. Exactly. So we just are careful that when we put them out, we keep them 30, 40 feet away from any of those connections. And Stephen also says deciding packs per zone, say you need 10 packs in one zone with FreeSpeak 2, you would deploy the transceivers to that zone. What happens if an 11th pack walks into that zone? It won't log on. It will just be disconnected at that point. So deciding how many antennas you put in an area, uh, not a problem. It's just, you have to just be careful about it. So obviously in your main theater, you want to have enough antennas. So all your packs connect, maybe even a little bit more. So if particularly, let's say your stage is, is a giant LED screen. You might want to, if you have 20 bell packs and you want to make sure they work everywhere, you'd want to have, let's say two 10 bell pack antennas backstage and out of front of house, two 10 bell pack antennas as well, because the LED screen is dividing your room in two. The other issue with that is, so you're doing a big show, lots of bell packs, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 bell packs. And in the dressing rooms, you want to have to put out a million antennas. So every bell pack works in the dressing room. That would be too expensive. So typically you might just have the stage managers and the, the A2s have access to intercom in the dressing rooms. In Bolero and FreeSpeak, there's no easy way to do that. In the newer Clearcom, they do have some ways to do that. But all along, another manufacturer, Crewcom from Pliant Technologies, has had that capability. And what they do is when you look at the setup screen for each bell pack, in that screen, you define what antennas it's allowed to work with. So you can make an antenna work only the A2s and the stage managers in the dress in the dressing room. Everybody else who's not supposed to be on it can go into the dressing rooms and have their 40, 50, 60, 70 belt packs in there. But the A2s and the stage managers can still talk because they're allowed to use that antenna. So it's a matter of just deciding what you need. And in reality, most everybody stays in the venue when they're doing a show. They're not... You're not all going backstage except at lunchtime when they go to catering and then nothing works. So it's just a matter of deciding how many, how much you want to have it work to put out enough antennas. So Nicholas Romero says, what are the must-have tools for today's RF 
Operator Pelican. The, well, RF Operator Pelican, yeah, the tools are tools. So I would say that if we're going RF, you want to have a spectrum analyzer. That's the first thing you want to have because you can't really tell the players in the game without being able to look at them on a monitor. Now, a toy I have found, which is, I say a toy, is a thing called that cute um, little thing. Tiny SA. Yeah, we've been, using, we've been playing from with a company those. called tinysa.org. Under $100. Yeah, isn't it like $50? It originally came out for $50, and then I bought 10 and all of a sudden the price went up to $80. So <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. But here's, it's got a touchscreen and a little menu. You can do stuff with it. It's got two different ranges, up to 300 meg on one range and up to 900 meg on the other range. And when I'm on the 900 meg range, the this one is now a generator and vice versa. So I can use it to tune... I can generate RF at a certain frequency and I can measure it here. So this is cute. I would say it's not a professional device because the company that makes it, if you go to their website, tinysa.org, you'll find that it looks like it's an open source kind of device, which besides being a spectrum analyzer, they have, it can be a all different kinds of display devices, depending on what software you put in it. But but it's very interesting to have. And because it's the size of a pack of cards, literally, I can carry it in my pocket. And this is good enough for me to go to a venue and it has four presets in it. So I can punch up a preset and see the spectrum for that preset. And that may give me, allow me to see what, radio what tv stations are actually in the band without having to pull out my larger spectrum analyzer another one is one made from tti which is a little more expensive it's around a couple three thousand dollars and it's a little bit larger but that is useful for most of your spectrum uh, analyst sort of stuff so that's a key thing in your toolbox other things you'd want to have might be a, an inexpensive RF over fiber system. RF Venue makes a couple that where for about six or $7,000, you can get a two-channel RF over fiber, which means it can put receive channels of your wireless microphones on a fiber and send them thousands and thousands of feet to your receivers without any loss. I have a pair that I carry with me in case all of a sudden I have to, I'm doing a show and I've got the whole regular RF system set up, but I want to also have the ability to receive the wireless mics as they're being put on the talent backstage in the dressing rooms. So I can put one of these backstage, run on a fiber and get a good, a good enough reception to hear if the mic is working well. Now I say good enough because the inexpensive RF over fiber do have a fairly high noise floor. And uh, I don't know if I'd want to use them for this, these inexpensive ones as my main antennas, but certainly for backstage monitoring and that sort of stuff, they're perfect. Some shows I've used the RF over fiber to extend the antenna on my spectrum analyzer to the stage or to an area that I wanted to monitor. Doing a show a few years ago in Times Square during New Year's Eve, I was doing sound on three different stages, which are at three different ends of the Times Square area. And I put a, an RF over fiber box at each one of these stages. So in my trailer, I could pop switch between them and measure the, the 
RF spectrum at that stage and see if there was any interference. Other things that I would uh, include besides regular bunch of tools and other things would be headset adapters, four pin to five pin, male and female. Here's a little headset adapter made by Crewcom. It's a five pin to four pin female adapter, very tiny, very cute. They make it so that their intercom, which is a male connector intercom, can be converted into four and five pin female. Okay. So these are really cute. They're expensive. They're $35 or $40 a piece, but they're really useful. Much better than carrying around something like this, which you can make for yourself for $15 or so. This is a male and female male. So headset adapters, another thing. Another thing in today's age is a laser light. But everything is fiber. And here we've got a laser light that it, I'm going to blind you all there. See, it burned out my entire video camera right there. This laser light is strong enough so that I can put it in into a fiber and see it kilometers away. This is a 30 milliwatt fiber, and it comes with a little adapter to change it from ST to LC, so I can test either. Those are a terrific thing to have. And then along with that would be a little clicker tool which allows me to stick it into fiber inputs and clean out the fiber, which is the worst thing about fiber is it, if it's dirty, it doesn't yeah, work. You can't get so any you want dust to clean in there. It Definitely. Then another device to carry in your toolkit used to be a whirlwind cue box, mm-hmm. which is great. It allows you to talk and hear and test an audio thing. But now there's this great device called the Sound Bullet which is a fully functional cue box in one little tiny device, which thing. is rechargeable, <laughs> really cute. And so you can inject audio, you can listen to audio, you can test your cables. It's really a terrific device. And this costs basically the same as a cue box, about $250. And this fits in your pocket. We had David Barker on the podcast a couple of years ago. He's a great guy, creator of the Sound Yeah. Very nice, very ingenious uh, person, and it's nice device. The only other thing I would say that you want to, because computers are so important to RF coordination and intercom nowadays, I always carry a spare computer. So I have two MacBooks that I carry identically set up. So if one dies, I can go to that one. Also, I keep all my files on Dropbox. I don't keep anything in the computer. So if I, I can go to my iPhone and get all my files. I can go to another computer, everything. I go all my files and I operate directly out of Dropbox on the computer. And once you change thing on your computer in Dropbox, within a few minutes, it's been uploaded to Dropbox and it's available to everything. So it's a, a terrific way. Now, the for network connections, I use a USB-based cellular connection. This is a Verizon cellular connection. And I say USB because it's, if I get like a little Wi-Fi access point and I go into a venue with 20,000 people with their all phones, their phones all banging away at the Wi-Fi system trying to find a network, it's never going to work. So this doesn't have Wi-Fi. It plugs directly into my computer and gives me a, a Verizon connection, unlimited d- d- data up and down. And it's extremely valuable. And often even when there's Wi-Fi in a venue, I get a better connection with this 
faster connection than with the local Wi-Fi. So that's another good thing to carry. Tools, it's up to you. There's a zillion different tools you can carry. But as far as RF, the key one is the spectrum analyzer. Roger Gonzalez says, what intermediate RF literature do you recommend for audio and live events professionals? Bestaudio.com. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, there's a zillion different books out there, both from RF Venue and from Sure Brothers and from Clearcom. There's also some great general books that have been written by RTS, one which is on my website. I'll show you a picture of it here. And this is a book that was written by Telex RTS. And it really it covers everything from two tin cans all the way up to digital intercom. Explains exactly how it all works, pretty much without mentioning the word RTS or Clearcom or anything. It's all generally how intercom works. Uh, Jonathan Winkler, how do you respond when you program COM based on a list? The fifth PA comes up and asks for COM. is not on the list, and there's 25 headsets sitting there, and she says... What about those? So is that clear for you? So well, yeah, go ahead. I try to uh, remove myself from that equation. But what I do in that situation is try to plan in advance before I get to the actual show, who exactly is getting what intercom, not only by their function, where they're located, but by their name as well. If you have the big money items in the rental, in rental intercoms are obviously the wireless Bolero bell packs and the free speak bell packs. So a client is not going to say, just bring as many as you want. We want everybody to be on Bolero. If you have the names all assigned to them and some somebody comes up and said, I'm supposed to have an intercom. And I say, what's your name? And they tell the, the, the Jane Doe. And I don't have a Jane Doe. I say, why don't you go back to the tech manager? I don't have you on the list of being able to get it. So go back to the tech manager or the stage manager or whatever and see what they can do for you. Because as long as I say, I have a list of who's supposed to get it and you're not on the list. It's like being the bouncer at the front of a club. Sure. Same deal. Okay. But a, a little bit of money will might help you get one. <laughs> scratch my back, I scratch you. <laughs> exactly. Don says, has he heard any news about the FCC cutting our bandwidth and selling it to more cell companies? Well, there are a few different bands not related to UHF that are being possibly sold off. It's a changing landscape. And ultimately, I believe all of the UHF band will be sold off in major markets, in cities. There's really no need and very little use of over-the-air transmission within a city. I'm sure it's going to happen. That's my news. <laughs> okay. Billy says, are there any situations where technical requests were extremely difficult or even impossible? And you just had to tell people no. And if so, how did you handle that diplomatically? Intercom, particularly digital intercom and unity intercom and intercomsystems.com and all these things that are available nowadays are so flexible. It's very hard to say no because there's always a way to do it. One of the nice things about digital intercoms, is particularly everybody's got a panel out there and you're running Bolero headsets all over the place and free speak and everything. All And they want to have something on their panel. It's very easy. Okay, click, bing, you're done. It's very flexible. So you can't, given enough planning time, everything can be, every intercom solution can be solved. It was an Olympics I was working on where the rehearsal venue for the Olympic opening ceremony 
was located literally across the street, across a major highway. And they wanted to do rehearsals for the Paralympics. Riedel installed a, 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 an RF connection between the two sides of the highway. And we put a network on there. And the network went to the intercom system on both sides. Actually, the audio people stayed in the venue and played their music back through the network into the rehearsal area. And the lighting people were over in the rehearsal area and all the comms were over there. So that was something where they obviously needed advanced planning because you don't bring RF connections that can do that kind of stuff with you normally. How do you say you can't do it? I usually, when somebody asks something, oh, can we do this? Can we do this? And I think, and I have usually have a way to have it done and I explain how it can be done. And if they want to, if it's expensive, if they want to pay for it, it can be done. I cannot think of the last time somebody asked me to do something with Intercom I wasn't able to do. Yeah, that's real world, sure. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, Don also says, how does the new radio tech like 5G impact band planning? 5G is not a frequency. It is a method of transmitting the information. It's, it's like Wi-Fi and 5 gig Wi-Fi and regular Wi-Fi. It's a different method of transmission. What affects the frequency planning is where the cellular companies are using their systems to get to their equipment. And that's why they sold off the 600 meg band. And if you look in a spectrum planning tool like IAS or Workbench, they show you the spectrum of the cellular and there's places around that spectrum that you can use to insert. So when you're planning your RF, when you're doing a venue, typically you'll go out and do a scan of the spectrum. And here is a scan of the spectrum of this particular show. And I did a scan, basically, I, this is the VHF section, which I didn't use. And this is the UHF section up to channel 37. And if I zoom in a little tiny bit like this. Okay, so we're zooming in here. Now on the right-hand side, ABCDFG, ABCDFG, these are the cellular connections that have been sold off in the 600 meg band. So you see here number E is a cellular transmitter tower that's transmitting that signal. The corresponding receive side of that from the actual cell phones is E over here. And there's nobody transmitting in that particular band at that point. So you don't see it. So in this UHF spectrum here, which I'll zoom in on again, this is channel 37, which is a reserve channel for radio astronomy. So we can send our messages to the world outside the galaxy that we're here. This little white space next to it is a two megahertz, megahertz spectrum space that is still available to use for wireless mics. And this little gap right here is called the duplex gap. These A through Gs are transmit and receive. That's called duplex transmitting. So they have a gap in between them so that the transmit doesn't interfere with the receive. That 10 megahertz hole there is available for wireless mics as long as you have a Part 74 license, which is an FCC license, which anybody can get. You just have to fill out the forms. 
and you have to be, typically you have to be an RF user that you regularly uses 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 wireless microphones at a time. You're a heavy user. So you have to have, you can get a license to handle this. So part 74 users can use this and that. They also, if I expand, expand out here, again, here's some of the cellular connections in the 700 megahertz band. And way up on the top, here's some 900 megahertz usage that's also available for wireless microphones. And so there, there are lots of different places you can stick wireless mics other than the UHF band. Now, in this particular display here, all these green ones are the DTV stations, which can't realistically use any wireless mics on. But these smaller sections in the middle here, which are white, Here's one, there's a DTV on the left and a DTV on the right. And these are some channels. Each of these little lines here are channels that were selected in this list up above here. So this is one of the tools that's used to plan your, your wireless mic frequencies. And I don't wanna go into the technology of why you need to do this, but it makes it work a whole mm -hmm. lot better if you use one of these tools. There are a couple of web-based tools out there that are really pretty cool. And I would, I'm about to add them to my website, but I'm not gonna talk about them right now, but which will do the same exact thing other than this piece of software here, which costs a few hundred dollars. So Chris wants to hear a story. What's the most challenging coordination you've ever had to do and what happened? With the IAS and the Workbench software, it helps you tremendously do that kind of coordination. It gets challenging when you have a lot of wireless mics. It all depends on where you use it. Key to using wireless mics is finding the spectrum to put them in. And on the website under RF coordination, there's lots of books about and videos. Now there's a book I wrote here, Pete Erskine's RF coordination for roadies. And it's a book I wrote on how, what the process I went through when I was on tour with Tim McGraw and Faith Hill on how to do my coordination every single day. And it basically meant I fell out of the bus at 8 a.m. and went into the venue and took my little TTI and, and did a quick span, a scan outside the venue of what TV stations there were. And then I'd go inside the venue and do a scan inside the venue to see what the spectrum was there. And then I would plug the TV stations into IAS mark the little green marks on the bottom and then do a recalculation of the standard frequencies of the standard equipment that already had entered in the software. So this book here talks you the whole, through the whole thing and shows you pictures and arrows and circles and everything on the back. So then down at the bottom here, there's some sure workbench videos and other ones from RF venue. And then I did a few videos as well. This is all videos from different companies here about RF and how to do RF. So on, on the coordination section, on the scan side, when I go into all these different places, here's a whole bunch of frequency coordinators I've been working with, and they all sent me scans of their venues. And here's the list. Now the list is all red because red means that the scan is over a year old. So I haven't done any, added any since COVID came along. So they're all pretty old. And, but these are all the places in the world 
where the scans came from. So if I want to go in a particular city here, I can check here in the middle of Ohio. I can click on this and see here at the Nationwide Arena, here's a scan file and here's a map of where Google doesn't want me to do that. At Google. <laughs> but anyway, I did, collected these scans and it's a great help, particularly for those people who are about to travel over to Europe and want to see what's happening in mm-hmm. Bulgaria or Serbia or Romania or Ukraine. This is a very popular one right here in Ukraine right now for all the great Olympic army shows that are going on right there. Doing a scan, collecting them, I should start redoing this again. Ryan Stotz is a great person, friend of mine who does RF and often shares intercom shows with me. He has a method here for converting CSV files from his Roden Schwartz spectrum analyzer. Here's a here's a little talks about how to participate in the collection of the span, scans and help me with my list there. It all also on my scans. If you look on my scans list here, there's scans that I worked on. I have pictures yeah, of the venue. Great. So when I want to remember what a venue is all about, I have all these pictures of the venue from the loading dock to the load in to the neighborhood, whatever, which helps me remember where I am. But it also helps me remember where the loading dock is and where the, where the yeah. dressing rooms are, because I never remember, remember <laughs> that stuff. Now, not many of the people who c- contributed to these pictures, to these scans, actually gave me pictures. There's a few in here. King's Theater, great little theater here in in Brooklyn, a renovated King's Theater, which I did a bunch of RF in, and this is pictures backstage, et cetera. So refreshes my 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 mind. I'm sure no disrespect respect to people who have Alzheimer's, but I feel like I've been practicing for Alzheimer's sure. my entire <laughs> life because I can't remember a thing I did last week. And the this pictures is great because Help. Chris is asking about your most challenging coordination, but it sounds like, Chris, if you want to hear all the stories about all the stuff that Pete has done, you can go to his site and browse through them. You can see all the work he's done, and there are, looks like, many stories. Def- definitely are a challenge, and what I was trying to get at without all that talk about scanning is when you scan outside the venue and then you scan inside the venue, often you find that there is a, a huge portion of the scan is not receivable inside the venue. So after you put your wireless mics in the truly open channels, you can probably squeeze a few into the into the sections which are just low level so you can squeeze in. I've done coordinations at Kennedy Center with with 80 wireless microphones on the Chinese Chinese National Orchestra and it's just two giant 6 foot tall racks full of receivers and it worked perfectly because I was able to use part, because it was an indoor show. Oh, so this one's good. Russell says how he maintains his sanity as the RF world keeps closing in around him while the need for more comms grows. I think you're looking at it the wrong way. As the RF world closes in and the FCC is pushing us into a tighter and tighter space, they're making more work for us, which means we get hired more often. So as an RF coordinator, it's not usual for a show to hire an RF coordinator, but it's becoming more and more normal to have an RF coordinator on a show. Intercom, I have to say, is becoming easier and easier to do for very complicated shows. And I'm seeing now people taking Clearcom and Breed and Crewcom equipment 
who aren't well versed in doing intercom and putting them in the shows and being very successful at it because the equipment is very well designed and very intuitive in setting it up. So you can get away doing intercom, complicated intercom nowadays, much more than you used to. Whereas RF is getting harder and harder and becoming really impossible. And Douglas says, what are the most common comm systems I should be familiar with? There are three main ones, Riedel, uh, Telex, RTS, and Clearcom in terms of full-featured intercom systems. Wireless intercoms also include Pliant, Crewcom as well. Now, there's not all of them. There's uh, lots of different systems out there. These are the three that I am familiar with and I deal with on a regular basis. Riedel, RTS, and Clearcom all have programming software available on their website that you can get to program offline and do experiments with. And in in several times during the first year of COVID, Kelly Epperson, Mac Care, and I did shows about programming these systems, and they're on our practicalshow.tech mm-hmm. website. So it's a good way to look. You look at see how it program, and then get the software yourself, put it on your own computer, and follow along. Pete, where is the best place for people to follow your work? I'm on Facebook, and 99% of the time, Facebook, I like to share a job I'm on, a venue I'm at, my my view of the day showing all my computers lined up on the table. I typically do not share information about the show I'm on. It's that's just not politically correct until after the show's over. It's been a couple of weeks until it's gone. And then I might say, I had this really challenging thing on Joe Blow's show that I like to talk about. And then I talk about it. When I started my website, it was with Larry Estrin. It was the best, it was the person who had best audio in the beginning. And Larry and I wanted a website to talk about what we did and how we did it. And I started putting stuff on it so I could remember how I did something. I came up with some clever way of doing something and I drew a diagram out of how to do it. And I put them on the website and it eventually became a resource for other people to look on how to do things. So there's lots of comms and RF resources there. And anything that you can find on there, you can always email me and I'll respond that way. That's great. Which is, my email is peter at bestaudio.com. Peter Erskine, thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live today. Glad to be here. Sound Design Live.